That is amplifying other people because when you amplify other people, what you're doing is actually you're increasing the population of like-minded folk. For fuck's sake, a theater podcast, aka 4FS Podcast, hosted by Aaron Salazar. Episode 12, A Perfect Dozen. All right, here we go. Do you hear that, everyone? Welcome. We're here. It's the 12th episode. We've done a dozen episodes. We're recording this on the first day of fall. Happy fall, everyone. I'm Aaron Salazar. That melodious voice you heard in the background, not in the background, that melodious voice you just heard is Morgan Oh, no, Stavon. take that down. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that melodious voice you just heard is Morgan. <laughs> and I can't believe it, Morgan. It's our fourth episode with you. You, you, you. you kicked out all of September. You brought us into the fall. Thank God. We needed the breeze of your truth uh, to enter into this fucking storm that we're all going into going into election season uh i'm aaron salazar a, a new york city theater award-winning director producer artistic director of poseidon theater company and executive director of alvarez kiko salazar productions because yo you gotta you gotta make work yo that's how we do it this is morgan she's here we're four episodes in you should know more about her she's done everything broadway regional working with like art working at signature, working at Kansas City Rep, having two degrees, not good enough to have just one, had to get her master's up in this. She plays all kinds of instruments. She was in that show, Be More Chill. She worked with Dave Malloy on Moby Dick. That was directed by Rachel Chofkin. All kinds of shit. She's doing, she's doing it. She's doing it. And I want you to go back and respect this woman's time and listen to these last three episodes if you haven't already. So click subscribe. And then go back and listen to all these brilliant-ass artists that we have on this show. So here we are. I'm so happy that you're here. If it's your first time, welcome. Make some tea. Put this on a Bluetooth or just play it on your phone. I actually mix it so that it sounds good on your phone. Okay. <laughs> it's true. You got to think about that shit. It I'm, does. What, it what, does sound good on the phone. It does sound good on the phone. Thank you so much because I literally go out of my way to make sure it sounds good on the phone. It sounds really good on the phone. Because I think that's how most people are listening. Actually, guys, let me know. Like, slide up DM in the Instagram at 4FS underscore podcast, unless if you're not following. And let me know, like, if you like the way it sounds. Because, you know, theater does not exist without an audience. And this is, after all, a theater podcast. Mm-hmm. That is right. Okay, Morgan, we've been catching up. I feel like asking you how you are is silly, but the kids weren't there for that part of it. Although there's an exciting thing coming, guys, this fall winter that I'm adding as an addition to the show where you can get some backstage tea on like all the stuff we talk about before we listen to you, which, which a lot of the times is it's amazing. But that's some premium content. Okay. How are you? You're holding the doggy. Oh my God, I wish you could see. Can you please, please <laughs> describe this beautiful animal? Um, Pip um, was just chewing on my mom's shoe. And so I... Had to tell him, no, 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 no. You live in a black home. No, no, no. And he um, does his little sad face. So he went to sleep. So I picked him up. He actually is really good for me when um, I feel like I am having anxiety. He punched yeah. me in the face the other day. Oh, and, really? you know, that's my. Yeah. My mom asked me, she was like, 
does he know how to like emotionally support you yet? And I was like pretending to exercise and I thought I pulled something. So I got in the child's pose on the floor and he just like walked around me and was like hitting, hitting me on the shoulder. And he goes right in front of my face, bends down. And I'm not kidding. Punch me (laughs) on the head. Like he looked at me like, what are you doing? And then he just went pow, pow. And I was like, that's love. (laughs) Yep, that's love. What kind of dog? What kind of dog is Pip? Pip is a sheep poo, so he's a Shih Tzu uh, poodle mix. Oh my god! I that's what I want. If I was ever to get a dog, I want the Shih Tzu because they look like little Ewoks, little luck dragons. Well, he has the best Shih Tzu parts and the best poodle. Like he's like the good mix between nice. the two. And the hypoallergenic little little hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at the face! I can't take it. Although look I at his teeth. Oh, look! Hi. Hi. I um I can barely keep a succulent alive. So, you know, um one thing, <laughs> one thing no, really, truly. I was like, hmm, my cactus is dying. This can't can't be good. So one thing at a time. Um, yo, so much has happened since we last chatted because that's how it is. It's actually. happening. It is happening. happening. No. Well, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge the passing of an icon of just badassness, equality, truly a life of service to the people and to women. RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Brooklyn native, fucking boss. We lost Ruth Bader on the 18th. It is heartbreaking and terrifying on 50 different levels, but let's focus on some joy, okay? The things that, if you, and actually, for what it's worth, everyone, sometimes these people are in our lives, sitting there, working hard behind the scenes to make things better, and we don't really know anything about them. There's a really cool podcast right now called The Notorious RBG. That's an extension of the documentary. Uh, That would be cool to for anyone to listen to. There's On the Basis of Sex. And I think... It would behoove of all of us for some inspiration to really look into this woman's life and to see someone who became such a a pillar of service. And there, these are some basic things that she has made possible specifically for women. The right to sign a mortgage without a man. I'm sure most of you knew that. But think about the audacity of that. <laughs> okay. The right to have a bank account without a male co-signer. Eh. more audacity. These are the things that she pushed through. The right to have a job without being discriminated against for gender. Good morning, class. And the right for a woman to be pregnant, basically. I mean, it's it's very nuanced, all of those things, but give it a little look. That's just some, some of what she's accomplished. And those things, it is shocking that it wasn't until recently that those things were not just a fact. I saw something really touching about her that I loved. It said, I I haven't left you. I'm I'm passing you the baton. RBG, we love you. And I I think this is important to talk about, especially as artists, because we get so caught up in our bullshit, right? That these big political figures that we all know we should love and respect, a lot of times people don't know, don't beat yourself up. Just go look into it. It's like anything. It's like studying for anything, any character study. And someone like this, their life is so inspirational 
if there was ever a time to get a big serotonin push, now is the time. We could use the injection, right? So get into it. I mean, what are your thoughts on on RBG? And what was it? Did you did you have a knowing about her? She became such a figure in pop culture in the latter parts of her life that she started getting acknowledgement, which is wonderful, while she was alive. I mean, honestly, to be completely honest, the Supreme Court and all of that just seems so far away in distance for me. Right. Um, I think most people you, would agree with you. Identify. Yeah. I think that what she has done for women, you know, is amazing. I also think that there is a really important nuanced lesson in this moment. And, you know, her no longer, you know, holding that seat, you know, being the, I'm sure, iconic energy in, in her family is that we all have to know when we have done what we can and the power that rests involuntarily giving up the power that we hold. Mm. And that sometimes, especially in this present world and, you know, even bringing it to a theatrical realm, we are watching what happens when what has always been continues to remain. It doesn't plan on ever leaving. It plans on passing it on to someone else. But sometimes if we allow ourselves to not reallocate the power that we have and and watch who gets to take it, who's responsible for the next generation. You know, I think that we're in this position now because I've kind of been trying to unpack. We had Obama in office. That really wasn't that long ago. Uh, No. I think that this hustle culture and this, I'm not going to say that. I think that hustle culture sometimes encourages us to not rest, but to work and occupy the power or space that we have until, you know, our energy is is no longer on this earth amongst the living. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I kind of wish that while we knew who was in charge, as bad or as good as you think they were, they, the past administration was not as detrimental as this present one. So knowing even that the slightest possible chance of a Cheeto president, <laughs> I don't want to say his name, oh, man, Cheeto exactly. president, yeah, you know, I, I would have just been like, you know what? I'm about to be 90. I want whatever time I have left to be rested. It's kind of like how I feel about like Chadwick Boseman. Mm. A lot of people are, especially, you know, black people are starting to break down how we idolize people that fight to their last breath. Yeah. And how we, as we are tearing down a system and trying to rebuild something, because we we must replace it with something, we must rebuild with something, yeah. that we should never feel like the integrity of a nation or a people or a culture lies upon the back of one person possibly working themselves to the bone. We should not, as a nation, be this distraught 
because someone is no longer fighting all the illnesses and pressures that the world brings upon our bodies. Mm. You know, like we are, we, we have actually had to like skip, you know what? Cause I've been trying to like learn about Jewish culture and tradition and like what would be happening right now, like with Shiva and like, Mm -hmm. you know, just the way that, that people you know, collectively mourn and bring emotional support to families. And it's like it's culturally built in for Jewish people to celebrate lives and to not rush the process of grief, the the grief and the Mm -hmm. myriad of emotions that come with someone no longer being physically present. And we are already like, Who's going to take this seat? Well. Because our lives depend upon knowing who is going to take it. And why are we in this in this present state where the filling of one seat could possibly continue to set us back at a drastic pace? Why is one person responsible for possibly, you know, making me a slave? <laughs> It's not funny, but it feels oh like I would much rather just like accept the a possibility of that and be proved wrong <laughs> than you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um yeah. I told my dad that today because I've been talking to my mom about kids and children and all that stuff. And I was just like, you know, I think it's irresponsible right now to consider bringing any child that's going to turn into a fully responsible for themselves human mm-hmm. onto this planet. I said, Dad, for all I know, we're going to be on the Underground Railroad. And I don't know where we're going to be running to, but we might be on the railroad and I'm not running with no baby. Sorry. Mm. I can't. Because I don't even know. I just went and dropped off my absentee ballot form today. Nice. So I can get a, a mail-in ballot. But I'm just like, this is ghetto. Like, yeah. all of this that's going on, this is ghetto. This is unorganized. Mm-hmm. This is just like, I told my dad, I was like, I think Ivan- if if he wins again, Ivanka, is he's, he's going to continue to put his family up. Yeah. And Ivanka will be the first woman president. Oh my God. I don't even want to, I don't even want to, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't I take wish it. You all nope. could see Aaron's face. <laughs> no, nah. I'm not listening. I yeah. am not, I don't want any of these things. No. But if we want change, the idea of simply voting is not, nor has it ever actually truly been enough. No, it's we not enough. We need an entire government systemic racism, misogyny, transfer, all that. We need an overhaul. We need yeah. to hit control or delete on every document that America got saved as a PDF on Microsoft Word. Control or delete. Amen. One We got to yes. start over. Yes. And it, you know, and it, but you know, much like most things that have to do with <coughs> you know, federal agencies and governments, you know, this shit is slow. Even though, but to tether onto that, what fucking hasn't been slow is that Mitch fucking McConnell barely waited 60 minutes until after she died to talk about, we need to nominate the next. And now what we found out Ugh. today is 
Mitt, who everyone was like, oh, he's marching with Black Lives Matter. Oh, he's doing this. No, oh, he's doing that. And that was not. the thing is when I saw that shit, I was like, no, you, I'm like, no, no, exactly. I was like, mm, you, you know, have the power to actually do something. Yes. Marching for people. I thought I told my mom, there are levels to the ways in which we are responsible for change. Yes. If you are a millionaire artist. Yep. I'm not even going to say no names. Mm-hmm. I'm working on myself. Mm-hmm. But if you are an artist and you have millions of dollars. Million, 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 you are million. making a movie and your parents got millions of dollars because they invest and produce and make everything. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to say Black Lives Matter. Where mm-hmm. are the Black Lives checks for the people that matter? Where's the checks? Who are you employing? Whose house, rent, car did you pay for because you stepped aside and said, I already have access to stuff. Somebody else should have access to stuff. Where is your purse? Why is it not open? And why is it not staying open? Saying Black Lives Matter is for my neighbor across the street who has a Trump flag hanging, who probably work a regular job or is just retired. That would be his, you know, radical statement of change is if this person across the street said Black Lives Matter, I'm going to talk to all of my friends that are voting for Trump because we need to talk about these things. That's their level of contribution. But when you have money, when you have resources, when Mm -hmm. you sit in Congress or Senate or wherever, whatever seat that you hold politically, I don't want you to march. I need you. To do something in legislation. I don't want to see you marching because you should be at work. Go to work. Yes. Yes. It's frustrating. Yes. Which which is going back to, that's precisely what RBG did. She went to work. She did. And you know what? And whatever mistakes and nuances that she missed, because that is inevitable. Mm -hmm. That's inevitable. You know, I was talking to someone really respected not too long ago in the industry. And I said, everything that's going on now, don't look at it as an attack or feeling like you have a lot of pressure. It's actually, I think the word that needs to be utilized more is opportunity. Yes. You have an opportunity to lead change. You have an opportunity to actually implement systemic changes in culture and representation and all of the things that we feel like are at a deficit. It's an opportunity. If you sit in the bashing, you aren't making any change. Take the criticism and go, hmm, something's lacking. How do we add to this? And know that you will always be doing anti-racist work for the rest of your life. Of your life. It's not an arrival place. It is a consciousness in which you walk throughout the earth. You will never arrive at being anti-racist. You won't. You won't arrive there. You will be mm-hmm. aware of the ways in which you can contribute to racism, but you will never arrive. If you've lived 50 years feeling like there's been nothing wrong with the world, committing microaggression, you know, gatekeeping resources and opportunities, you're not going to change in a year. You're not going to change in two years. It is a lifelong effort to hold yourself accountable for the ways that you treat everyone. It's lifelong. Yes. It's a, it's a long haul. 
Yes. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It is. Yes. It's not a sprint. To, to be clear, that goes for everyone. Like, yes. everybody. Because to be American is to fucking be racist. Full stop. It is. That is, it is. We, it is ingrained inside of us. And people who aren't white, it's ingrained inside of us so that people could see us be against each other. Because God forbid if everyone who is black or a person of color actually came on the up and up as a crew, it would be an unstoppable force. So that internalized hatred and assimilation, assimilated racism that's inside of non-white people, I'll speak for myself as part of the Latin community, is so ingrained because they, they I'm going to use the word they, know that if we all have each other's back, this shit's going to be ended pretty quickly. It will, but that's where the intersectionality. That's where the inter. Yes, that's where it allows people to 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 cherry pick. Because when you cherry pick, you you denounce certain parts of yourself that actually would unite you with other people. Yes, you know I am black and woman, and and cisgendered. But if I refuse to advocate for women that are trans that mm-hmm. are also black. Mm-hmm. You know, I am actively working against myself. Yes. Because the same systems that would marginalize them, keep them from health care, keep them from access to resources, would also keep me from those things. I'm hurting myself when I do not defend and protect them. Yes. It's almost just like when we were talking about the authenticity in the in the industry and that it's it's more complicated and yet simple and nuanced in, in in creating a space that that invites people. What people don't get is that what people don't understand is that oftentimes as people of color, if you do not invite me to a party that feels like it's an all white party, I'm not going to come because I want to protect my self esteem, my energy, my my the the state of my spirit. Mm-hmm. So. If we're saying we want more representation of trans and non-binary people in the theater, what we're calling for is not for you to just throw them on stage. Yes. What we're saying is there needs to be a more nuanced approach in creating characters, in inviting the specific needs that would come with each person that is trans that you would consider. If you bring in person one, they might have a specific range that they can't, you know, have access to in their singing voice. And if you bring in person two, you know, and then you want them to be the understudy, you're going to have to possibly have different keys for person one who is playing this character full time than, you know, for person two. When you allow that flexibility or that what I want to call more so invitation of Mm -hmm. self. Mm -hmm. There's no other way but for me as a cis person to also benefit from you being open to that representation and that in that in that that invitation of full self. Yes. Everybody doesn't have access to the same range. Singing a certain way is often just reflective of economics. Everybody Oof. that's screaming on Broadway eight times a week either is a star and can afford to call out and doesn't care or can you know af- afford Liz Kaplan for $500 an hour. 
Yes. You know what I mean? Or they've got the stamp of approval from the the main factories that apparently crank out the most proficient people, which in of itself is a, an assimilated, homogenized style that, frankly, lacks individuality. It does. Me. It really does. It's the way, like, you know, I, I you started to hear like the way that people sing like that thing that started <laughs> happening and i remember you know i noticing it after a couple of decades being here you start to notice trends and it started creeping in and there was people who that was genuinely their authentic voice and they were like okay fine um but then all of a sudden you know i, I worked in a you know theater music venue for m- several many years and i was like why is everyone singing like this and it's but there you go. It's interesting you say that about sometimes it has to do with economics. It's money. You know? Everything is money. Everything like, is money. Everything's money. Being able to dance technically is money. Being able yes. to sing technically yes. is money. It's yes. all being able to take a shot on yourself in New York City without having a job. Yes. Is money. Mm-hmm. And 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 to be completely honest, for myself, you know, when I was doing Be More Chill, I'll never forget when I went in for Moby Dick. I ain't know what was going on. You know, Dave had us singing some song about eating whales. And I was like, look, I'ma just try to know what I'm singing because mm-hmm. I don't know what is going on in this piece. And I felt so liberated to just play. And have fun and, you know, do whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I got a call back and it was funny because in between, so it was like a couple days before Rachel won the Tony, I went in the first time and then I went in a couple days after she won the Tony. Okay. And then I found out Be More Chill was closing and I was like, Lord, I better have Book Moby Dick. Okay. You know, I wasn't even thinking about it. And it was just like, there's something missing in the industry. There is not an invitation of self. There is an invitation to imitate what has already been displayed and deemed successful. So the reason why everyone sounds the same is because all the people that are finding success, you know, going from this show to this show to this show, that's how they sound. You know, I miss you know, listening to something and being like, oh, that's Heather Headley. Oh, that's no. Never Leo Butts. You know, oh, that's Titus Burgess. You know, I vow to myself that every show I do from now on, not that I was not before, but it is a, a redeclaration mm-hmm. that I want people to know that it's me that's singing. Yes. I don't want to yes. sound like anybody else but myself. I and owe what- that to myself. <laughs> What? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. A million gazillion fucking percent. Uh, And with that though, what needs to happen to, well, I don't want to say needs because that sounds like a conservative Republican way of saying things. What I hope that happens is that this musically segregated mindset of the praising of certain types of voices is really fucking dangerous. Is it cool to hear people with an incredible instrument do acrobatics? Yes. But Mm. here's the tea. We are going to fall further and further away from authentic voices and individuals 
who have interesting voices, if we continue to tell the next generation and the current generation just trying to fucking get health insurance, that this person who just got a little segment for 15 minutes on a YouTube channel that's popular is the way everyone should sound because this is the person (laughs) we're clapping and praising. Oh, God. And I have a lot of fucking thoughts about that shit. Now, it doesn't mean that that person isn't talented, that like the ultimate MT geek inside of me is like, oh, that's dope. But it's dangerous. It's, yeah. It's dangerous because let's look at the people. Let's, okay, actually, let's talk about it. Let's talk about fucking Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli in like Flora and the Red Menace, right? Obviously, she's Judy Garland's daughter, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. Actually, I don't want to blah, blah, blah that. But, she, you know, obviously, she came from, you know, uh, <laughs> royalty. Uh, royalty. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. But she was interesting. Genuinely still Genuinely is an interesting fucking person. An interesting aesthetic. An interesting actress. An interesting singer. Yes, there was that powerhouse thing that you do need to have for Broadway because at the end of the day, no one's paying two hundred and fifty fucking dollars to hear what their cousin can do at a bar mitzvah, right? You know, or 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 at karaoke, which you know, a lot of people have really nice voices, but then you're kind of paying that premium to see someone doing something that you're like, oh shit, I can't do that. You know, it's like one of the things. Like when I mm-hmm. in my dance life, you would see that impressiveness, how impressed people would be from like when you would kill it as a dancer because most people can't physically accomplish what you just did, right? So I get it. Yes, there has to be something extraordinary about you. However, these interesting voices are what we consider the foundation of theater. Look at Ethel Merman. Like super, super, super weird voice. If you really break it down, very odd, but it was interesting. You know, it was an interesting voice. Ethel Waters, super fucking unique, interesting voice that had a range of depth that was extraordinary. Yeah. And, and let's, let's call her Carol Channing. Yeah. The fuck that fucking legend, the sweet Carol Channing, right? Everyone's like, how is she? But there you go. Someone gave her a chance. And they were like, you know what? You're you're really interesting. What an interesting person. But <laughs> we 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 have a, a mythology of the Broadway that was built on the well, first of all, black artists. Well. And then the Follies, right? And then the Fanny Bryces, another one. And then all these interesting people who came around, all these little really interesting actors who showed up. And yet, now we're in a place where we're championing... Screaming. Screaming. (laughs) And all these people who sound like this. And I'm like, what the fuck? And this might, you know, be controversial and get me in trouble, but whatever. To be a theater artist is to accept the fucking fact that people are going to criticize you. It's the other day, I went back and looked at some of my worst fucking reviews just to remind myself that some hoes don't think you're shit. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And just to, you know, to like, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? But I'm cool with that because as a theater artist and a director, that is the gig. That's the gig. That's what's up. But it's, and I, it's and easier I, to yeah. swallow when it's you. What do you mean? It's easier to swallow when 
they're criticizing your best attempts at being yourself. Yes. Yes. It's a more difficult thing to to grasp when your efforts are doused in, you know, imitation. Because you know, they're they're directly comparing you to something that is 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 what you're striving for versus, you know, trying to be your authentic self, if that makes any sense at all. No, and I want to unpack what you just said, because it's true. It's one, like, to for me to read a criticism about me working my way through figuring out just work, just making work, and mm-hmm. knowing that part of working, and we've talked about this over and over and over again on this fucking podcast, let alone with me and Morgan, the the agency to be allowed to succeed and fail, but more so over, the only way you know how to get better is by continuing to make work. Like we're working on a piece right now that I'm going to announce very soon. And Jason Vesey's part of it. And we talked about this yesterday in a creative meeting. I'm like, it is okay if, if this, like, we need to be allowed the agency to fail. I'm not saying it's going to fail, but like, we can't have the pressure on ourselves to think that everything has to be the the definitiveness and perfection. Like as artists, you've got to get up there and do the fucking damn and be allowed to fail. And I do understand that corset that you're locked into on the B-Way is very tight and all things that are pushing in that direction because again, money, right? Which isn't to say that really interesting people don't push through because we do have a whole litany of new stars and up and coming stars, Morgan. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just something you have to stick your guns to and. Even like, I feel like Be More Chill was the first show I've ever done, with the exception of when I did Junie B. Jones at Theater Works. <laughs> but it was the first show I'd ever done that had been done before. Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? But then I was also in this position. Very different. Hmm? Very different, though. Yeah, well, but see, I was also in this position where I didn't, I had not seen Be More Chill. So when I went in, I was in this position where all I had to go off of was the text and Mm -hmm. the materials that I was given. So I was free to express my interpretation of these characters, you know, untethered to what they presently existed as. Oh, the preconceived notion of them. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. actually, before we go into this, we're going to take a quick break because I really want to, this is this is a perfect segue um, into really being curious about you, Morgan, as an artist. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're, we're, everyone, if you haven't done it before, we take a recalibration break, a little meditation moment. My suggestion right now is if you don't have headphones on, put on a pair of headphones, press pause, sit somewhere and just get ready to breathe. And uh, we're going to recalibrate, and we will be right back. Hi, this is Aaron, your host and producer of the show. So there's a lot happening right now in the world. And rather than take a moment to have a commercial, 
I thought it would be nice for us to take a moment and recalibrate. How does that sound? Excellent. Okay, so get comfortable, and we're going to take a deep breath in, and a deep breath out. Deep breath in, and just let it out. All right. Now close your eyes and breathe normally. Perfect. I hope you feel a little better now. And just remember, you are perfect. And you are loved. Okay. Let's get back to the show. Fuzzies have happened. You got to breathe. Hopefully, have a moment. If you felt like you were going to tear up, that's good. It's a release. Feel your feelings. Okay, so we're going to continue this conversation of artistry and authenticity with Morgan Siobhan Green. Okay, you were saying you were lucky enough to just take the materials for Be More Chill at face value. Correct. I went in, I had fun. I was kind of at this point, at a point in the in, in and with the industry where I was just like, I don't know what else to do for you people. Like I am slightly, you know, I say my soul beats on the one and three. I do my own thing. I don't know mm-hmm. what else to do for you all to understand that I'm not, I'm not trying to wear dresses and heels and be like, do, 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 do. I don't yeah. want to do that. Um, there are people that paid a lot of money at school to do that. Yeah. And it's it's a harder journey, but I feel like a more satisfying journey 
when you are dedicated to the perfection of yourself. Yes. And understanding that everything out there that looks good may not be for you, but what's for you is so obvious and blatant and is just packaged. The only thing I have to do is just keep working and get better and just keep going forward. And it's there everywhere I turn. What I'm preparing for, not even knowing what it is I'm preparing for, is right there is waiting for me. It's just my job to stay with the task that is learning, that is messing up, that is getting better, that is writing and holding myself responsible, that is amplifying other people. Because when you amplify other people, what you're doing is actually you're increasing the population of like-minded folks. Mm -hmm. We're saying... Oh, I feel alone. If when you feel alone, when you feel like there's that you're you're in this authenticity march by yourself. Yeah. You know, I think the best thing to do is to push other people that you feel are authentic forward because then they become your obvious blatant reminder that there's other people like you out there. When you're struggling and sad, I feel like th- the dangerous thing is to go inside of yourself. Yes. But rather than to create community mm-hmm. of like-minded people because there are a lot more of us out there. And I've been saying for the longest time, you know, as a black woman in the arts that our time in musical theater is very short. Hold on. Pip. No, <laughs> come here. I don't even know what I was saying. You were saying as a black woman in musical theater, your, your time our time is very short. Our time is so short. Like, what? really, in, the only Black yeah. women working in musical theater like over 40 is LaShawn's and Audra McDonald. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, mm. the core and the crux of our existence as artists is, will, the foundation of being an artist that performs is acting. I don't care what anyone says. Yes. The best singers that cannot act, they will disappear at some point. Yes. Yes. They sing it now. They'll sing tomorrow. They might sing till they're 40, 50, but they are not legends and they will not be remembered beyond a certain. Why? Because no one's making musical theater roles for older women. Mm. They're going to be fighting for that. Mm-hmm. It's all about fandoms and, you know, what the youths will like instead of entrusting the youth's ability to comprehend good art. Yes. Yes. They know the, what's good. They know what's yes, good. Yes, they do. They, I, I, before I say this, I can see both sides of the coin as a producer, but what has been uh, a little detrimental is the kind of American idling of musical theater. Oh, that just made me think of Catherine McBee. Yeah. Oh, you triggered me. Man. <laughs> you just triggered me. What a. Oh, uh, but you want to uh, know what? That what? goes back to us talking about buzzwords. When you allow people to use the buzzwords, they make you go, oh, they're safe. They're friends. They're allies. But it's like, again, where is thine purse? Well, if you kids don't know what we're talking about, I'm sure you do, but take a look. 
I'm not even mad. Uh, so yeah, the American idling of musical theater, which isn't to buy the way discount. I would like to be very clear. Jordan Sparks is fucking the real motherfucking deal. Yeah. Oh my god. And actually, let's let's go on a tangent about Jordan for a second because you know she deserves it. I don't know why she's not playing everything. She is an extraordinary musical theater actress. She's really, really good. Like, I saw her in In the Heights, right? And mm-hmm. um, I know this sounds stupid because I was a huge fan of all the top 40 shit. But I didn't realize she was that good of a singer. Yeah, and, she can sing. And yes. And like, in a very interesting guttural way it's really fascinating to watch her navigate through these scores right i think that's why people like get obsessed with youtubes because it's interesting to watch someone break through the confines of a pre-existing track which is what on the inside of the industry everyone you call the role you know you go in and there's all these confines you got to hit that mark you got to look here because that shit is frozen right and to watch someone go in and find some truth and individuality is pretty extraordinary when it happens. You're like, yeah. oh shit. You're like, wow. That's why people are obsessed with Alphabuzz because it's such an interesting track. And when you see someone really get into it, which is interesting because when you watch the stands, you see these kids' comments are like, oh my God, she's such a good actress to underline the point of what you're saying, Morgan. And I was fascinated to see her kind of evolve. And, you know, it was cool for to see her get waitress because I've always said the role of Jenna is really such an interesting part, right? Because she's really tofu. Like when you think about the iconography of like Jenna role, right? Yes, she's got the goddamn pie and the pie, 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 pie. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's very that. And, you know, she's a, she's a, you know, a, a real person because she makes bad decisions, which, you know, that's, that's, identifiable people identify she's an anti-hero but it's like in terms of iconography uh, okay like the parts are sort of like there right so it was interesting to see someone like her infuse it with her own lived experience and have this very genuine interesting take on the role you know but there you go i almost wonder if the problem is i hate to say problem is that she's so interesting and unique aside from being fucking beautiful and talented that people probably don't even know what the fuck to do with her. Yeah. Um, anyway, but that, that, that's an example. I don't even know. Where was I before that? Hold on. It's coming back to me now. Okay. Um, the opportunity to take up space in a role, the opportunity to take up space in a role. Yes. The acting is everything. It's everything. Queen Audra is who she is. Because of the actress she has become, mm-hmm. in my mind. You know, she started off, you, anyone who's listened to anything of her speaking, you know, Masterclass was her big break, opposite of the legendary Zoe Caldwell. And that, in a lot of ways, I, I believe she said this made her an actress. And it was been the acting on top of that phenomenal voice right. that really pushed it over the top. You're just like, what the fuck? Like, how are you this good? And in a lot of ways, we didn't know even how to cope with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And it's interesting because 
in a lot of ways, I feel like, I don't, mm, I think it was the Lord's doing that Audra is a classically trained opera singer. It made her palatable in a weird way for white audiences to quantify her talent initially. Of course. Like, let's look at this beautiful, stunning soprano. She's a soprano, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this beautiful, stunning soprano holding her own against Zoe Caldwell. Uh, what's not to like? I feel like I just discovered something. You know what I mean? And so it's been a gift that she entered the world that way, in at least to the public's eyes. Opposite of a pillar of acting, Zoe Caldwell. Well, it's also just her, the voice that she has allows for her to one healthily access the shows that she's singing in. Yeah. And that's not to say there will never be any vocal problems, vocal strains, but the openness of her sound, the the openness the industry has of her taking up space yes. really just allows her to take care of her voice in a way that is deemed respected. Yep. As this person has knowledge and training and they, they they know what they're doing. Yes. The way that people get pigeonholed in musical theater now is everybody's hemorrhaging. Mm. Everyone is breaking their throats, mm. screaming these notes, screaming these songs that have no acting impulse to justify those notes. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I think I think that that's if for for me that makes it stressful when it's just like we're screaming just to be screaming this is not the climax of the show the climax of the scene you know the high note means the song is done and yeah. it's like yeah and the understudy is going on tomorrow which like i almost feel as an understudy i feel like more <laughs> anxiety thinking about someone that doesn't even get to sing it all the time having to like out of nowhere just get out of and like, yeah, and just have to to do it. And it's like we have to reconceptualize what makes a good song. Is it the words? Is it the journey? Is it the the you know the way that it's melodically written? I think it's all those things, but some somehow, some way I feel like we have drifted away from the journey, the ability for a song to stand alone, for an actor to be able to access it if nothing else happens in front of it or behind it, and to give them the ammunition to hit an E if they're going to hit a high E at the end. Why are they hitting a high E? And the, the importance of respecting that an actor's body has to access something multiple times a week. Yes. Especially post-COVID, you know. hmm I'm out of breath. Uh, you know, and not because of lack of, you know, exercise. It's like, I'm pretty sure I had COVID at, at some point. Shit. You know, and people don't even, you know, we. it's been around longer than we've known that it's been around. Yes. Especially as New Yorkers, you know, yes. we've, We've all probably, I was sick for like three weeks in January. I probably had it, you know, 
And it's like, that's going to affect my body. It is affecting my body. All of these people that are singing, again, economics, like people aren't employed. Only people that have had like really great jobs before then or have the ability to save can afford to keep continue to take lessons and stay sharp and stay, you know. And it's like, are we going to come back into this world really being considerate of the instrument that is the actor? Are we really going to come back and be like, now nah, you need to screen this G for half your paycheck? <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? It's, yes. It's all about longevity. And like, you know, us speaking about it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we have to continue to advocate for our mental health and our physical health to be priorities. Mm-hmm. Because it's. It's astonishing the things that actors have to put their bodies through. And only when you have a, you know, Juilliard or Yale education, is there a possibility that someone might take you seriously when you're advocating, you know, my instrument cannot. Yeah. You know, I was talking to someone and I was like, you know, I feel like with all this race, these race conversations that there needs to be a, in the way that like they rent your instrument, like when you play an instrument in the show. Yeah. People should have to pay a weekly fee for trauma that also includes therapy. I mean, because I mean, they should. If you're going to put a, you know, an assault scene in a piece and I'm saying, hey, that's going to be an extra eight hundred dollars a week because I'm going to have to take my body through this simulation. People are when you start quantifying stuff with dollars, people really start thinking about, do I need this assault scene in this? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. T- talking about like quantifying when you put numbers on those things, you know, it makes sense that there is a reality to repetition, which leads me to touching on this quickly with you. I'm really interested with you as an artist because now that I've gotten to know you more as a human. Human. That's right. I'm fascinated by what you do, and I know this is hard to quantify because, uh, you know, like for years people were like, why don't you teach acting? I'm like, I don't know how to fucking teach acting. I'm like, I know how to hone what you brought to the table. And I know how to suggest and talk about the backstory of like what's happening. But like, I don't know how to teach you how to do it. You can either do it or you can't. I, I still really believe that actually. I think with acting, you can either do it or you can't. And then from that seed of Genesis, mm-hmm. can something be watered and 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 it can grow with with the proper care? That's just my thought. Everyone, because everyone thinks they can act. Because we act as you know humans, we're always acting, always. Yeah. Uh, some better than others. Like for you, when you when you get these parts, and let you know, we can use be more chill as an example if you'd like. The machine of that kind of gig. Is there any conscious choice you make? to stay true to yourself, to bring truth to your performance. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously, listen, the, the, the material is the material. You can't fight that. Yeah. But, and, but knowing you the way I do now, I feel, you, you aren't the kind of artist who can just fake it and phone it in. I'm curious about the thing that you find that is the little spark of earnest truth that you use to punch through those performances outside of the fact that you're just deeply trained and it's technique. I think the thing I learned in grad school that has always has really stuck with me 
is the beauty of an outside in approach. I mean, that's why I don't look at myself as one of those like artsy fartsy people. And I have nothing against people that are authentically artsy fartsy that just they love talking about it and do you know. I am just like as Cardi B was. I feel attacked. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as Cardi, I'm like a regular schmegular that just happens to act. But I feel like outside in, which I love. Thank you. I feel like outside in is is so safe because yeah. it requires you to do nothing but accept the world that you have just stepped inside of. Yes. For be more chill, you know what I had to go on for. Steph Shoe the first time, you know, I was the first person to ever play the part beside her. And then I was black, you know, and it was a matinee. And I believe in over preparing so that I can, I would much rather like do everything I think I need to do and then be like, dang, I should have done that thing. than like, let the moment sneak up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were I ready. Rem- you were ready. I was like, I mean, I was as ready as you can be. As ready as I could be in that situation. And I just remember being at home and they always would call me when I was like naked or like in the bathroom, like using the bathroom. Okay. That was like the running gag. It's like, that's the only time I would get the call to go on. And it was for the matinee. So I was like, Lord, Damn, I got the, literally, Ugh. I got the call at like not, uh, 10, 11 a.m. Mm. Shows at 2.15. Yes. So at this point, I didn't know who I was going on for when this PSM called me. And she's like, hi, Morgan, it's Brady. I'm just letting you know that you'll be going on today for um, Stephanie. Um, and I just remember going, I was going to watch a web series during this show. I re- <laughs> actually remember my first response and my brain was being and feeling very inconvenient because <laughs> I was going to get Chipotle and watch a TV show backstage with my friend, which is like a good sign that that's like immediately where my brain went that I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Um, so I told her, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and she was like, um, how soon can you get to the theater? And I was like, probably like, 1230, 1245. I mean, I'm at home. It's 1130, 1115. Like, I need lunch. I need a snack, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And she's like, well, can you just get here as soon as possible? And I was like, I will do what I can. Because at that point, it was like, either you have given me the tools to succeed in this moment. One million percent. Or you just need to relinquish me to the fact that, like, it is what it is. Like, you're not. As the saying goes, a lack of planning on your end is now warrant an emergency on mine. I'm not going to be freaking out in this moment because you're freaking out. I know me. Only moment I care about in a show is the moment I'm in. Mm. I'm not thinking about anything that happened unless, you know, I heard somebody or anything that's coming. Because if I'm doing either of those things, I am not present. Mm-hmm. Amen. So it's my duty to only worry about the moment that I'm in. And... My pudding was just like standing downstage with Will and doing mm-hmm. a scene that I got like completely forgot I was going to have to do for like maybe 10, 15 minutes. I did a quick vocal thing with the, our um, vocal advisor. We did some lift calls of which I was like, I'm not doing the lift because we never practiced these. And if it's that important, we should have been doing that from the get go. Yeah. Like this, 
10 minutes before you open the house is not the time to be trying to teach me to do a lift. I'm about to go on for the lead, for the lead female role in this show with an hour and a half notice. I'm not thinking about no lift. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just remember my first like reveal entrance, like individual entrance when I like roll the chapstick out and I looked down the audience and the audience knew, like everyone knew. Of course. Like, Especially that show. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Fans knew. People probably came just to see you. They did come. People just screamed when I came out. And I, like, remember looking at the audience, and I was like, there's people looking at me. <laughs> I just remember thinking, <laughs> people are looking at me. I'm playing this part, and I got to <laughs> sing this song in 45 seconds, and either I'm going to be good or just bad. I just remember, like, thinking that and going... Lean into that because this character is kind of quirky. Like yeah. she can be just a little like, like get, I can get away with that energy. And um, there's a part where at the end of Christine's first song where Steph Shu does this thing where she's like acting like she's going to kiss Jeremy or he thinks he's going to kiss her. And she goes, um, ah, 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 ah. and I think no, Will didn't know what I was going to do, but I didn't make her choice. I literally screamed in his face and then I screamed out and I screamed back in his face and he looked at me like he was like either just like completely caught off guard or about to like laugh. Um, And then I was just like, "Woo, I got all of that out. And I went back on that night. So I went from oh, the shit. day before never doing it to like doing it two times the next day. And there were so many quick, like quick changes and like, yeah. you know, all this stuff going on. They're like, of course, only had like because we never did costumes, like we never did any of that stuff. So the first time I did the quick changes and all of that stuff, you know, and just having done competitive speaking, I was just really actually used to performing under pressure. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like I said, having to compartmentalize that energy and just be like, okay, I only have to think about this scene and this scene and this scene. And with that track, it's like once you get out the first like twenty five minutes then you can like breathe and like think about, but those first 25 minutes in that track could like, they could end you if you have no idea what's going on. She has like three backpacks in the first like (laughs) five minutes. Well, that was, and actually that's how you know, Billy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Billy. Billy. Billy is great. It just helped me stay calm backstage. It's like weird because Billy's such a like huge energy. Yes. But like, I don't like when everyone's like super quiet or where people are like weird when their energy is not a freaking out energy. I feel like Billy is always a heightened energy. Yeah. So like having that heightened energy was like, great. Someone's talking good. Okay. Someone's being, has an attitude or being sassy. Great. Cause people are like that. That's good. I need that. Yeah. You know, it was great. Julianne Moore. I was just listening to something with her for some reason. She says that she likes to talk until they say action. And she gets real weird when people are like, quiet. <laughs> that actually makes really, that's really good. Because then you're out of your head. Yes. You're not thinking about, I want to do this or I want to do that. The moment ha- you have not prepared. That's why I think like line memorization is so important. Yes. The ability to know what you're going to say, know when you're supposed to come in, but not learn it to the point that you've decided how it's supposed to come out Mm -hmm. 
you know, because that's different. It's it's an excusal of the most important part of a scene, which is the other person. Yeah. And for them, you are the most important part of their scene. But, you know, understanding the text, I spent so much time, I feel like, just like memorizing lines. And I also have like photographic memory. So mm. I can see because, you know, the stage at the Lyceum is not as big as it looks uh, from, you know, back. No. I'm no, certain. No, it, not at all. It's not. And so for me, because it was the first time I ever was like a swing, it wasn't just about learning my part. What people don't get is you have to know what everyone else around you is also doing. Yes. You can't yes. just go out there and be like, I go from two to six to eight. No, 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 boo. You go to two after they go down and around and then you go around and then no, no, no. You have to do what that person was doing yes that person has to move first before you move and then you wait for this person and then you counter move it's about knowing it so when you for me i watch it enough that i can see it's almost like a football like a football yeah play. i see I, I drew it out like a like a play like watching the pieces move so it was also it's also a process of learning how you learn how do you learn you know, some people come into a space and they've learned every single line, but then they have such a hard time taking direction and changes and edits because they are so married to their preparation where it's like, it's a, it's a dance, you know? Yes. I think that as particularly theater artists, when we're really in the zone, we're ostensibly kind of channeling. We're like channeling the mm -hmm. whatever it is. You're not being precious about it. You've just gotten ready. And then it comes through. Yeah. And like in, in my, as a director, to be honest with you, and I've never questioned this shit, I don't know where the thoughts come from. I just know that I see all of it. And then I just communicate that, right? But like, I don't want to get too caught up in like, what a great idea. Or like, I actually never think that. I'm just grateful that, it's coming through and I'm not going to question it because it's a gift. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you free yourself to what the thought could produce versus, yes. you know, sometimes we know what we want to happen, but our yeah. explanation yeah. of, of what we think should happen doesn't bring about that result. Yes. So it's also, like I said, it's this dance, like, even in like Moby Dick, I remember, you know, there was a point where the character I was playing didn't get out of this little boat on stage. And I just remember one time Rachel came up to me and she was like, I wonder what would happen if you just got out of the boat. And I was like, mm, let's find out. And it was actually <laughs> like as simple as that, because yeah. like neither of us wanted to try to define what we wanted quote unquote, coming out of the boat to look like. I truly did not know what was going to happen when I got out of the boat. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I let my body, you know, do and respond however it felt the need to respond. Because the reality is when you're in a lab or until a show is open, you're in a discovery stage. So you have to allow the 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 formula of what happens when you try something to to take what's good 
you know, shelf what may be bad and actually really expound most upon what was kind of just interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? To go, okay, that first 30 minutes, that was weird, but that led us to like the last like two minutes, which Mm -hmm. was like kind of interesting. Let's unpack what happened in the last two minutes there. It's weird because there has to be, there's just this openness in theater that I, that I think theater is losing and has the ability to just complete, completely dissipate the magical experience of creating something that says, I know that there's someone watching me, but I'm not going to let them hold the power over what happens in this moment. Sometimes it feels like art is being created completely disregarding the fact that like there is someone there. Whatever the like cast number is, you yeah. got to add one because there's the audience is in the seat. Yeah. That's a that's a cast member. Yep. So there's something amazing about feeling like there's people on stage that are only there with each other and you just happen to be looking through the window. Yes. Which is where the role of Obviously, I'm going to champion this. It is the director's job to exactly set that up for you as the artist on the stage. I will look at the Google Earth map of how this bitch looks to the fucking audience. That's my gig. My gig is to make sure that I'm like, you know what? Keep everything you're doing, but can you turn on the quarter a little bit so that way the audience gets to actually fully experience your face? Or Mm -hmm. the thing we do in theater that is artificial but you know the the close up in theater is facing front and that's why uh-huh. i still really i don't i sometimes miss that crafting of theater where people have gotten to film with the blocking when you can have authentic filmic acting on stage because of these gazillion dollar all this audio equipment and brilliant brilliant sound designers but you still the audience has to see you yo like, I don't want to yeah. watch this. I don't want to watch this shit in profile. Like, turn front and then talk to the person because then that artist who is channeling that moment, you can fully see what is being expressed on their face. And in a lot of ways, too, there's something about that that I really love is watching the artist in that artificial crafting because it is artificial because it, it is a visual medium. And if you can't see it, then what the fuck is the point, right? Yeah. Real, but I love doing that and then watching the artists get lost in the sauce. And then you, you, my gig is to be like, dope, keep that. <laughs> Great. Yeah. You know, they used to say that, not they, but apparently when um, Brecht, uh, Bertolt, would be rehearsing something like Mother Courage and all these fucking really dark shows, when the most dramatic scenes would happen and it was going well, he'd start laughing. Because he's like, touchdown, you know, like he's, he just, because yeah. it would just delight him that it was so good that it made him laugh. And I get that way too. I often sometimes like literally like expound and like laugh when I'm like, fucking kill it. And oftentimes it's in the most dramatic scenes. But you know, that there you go. I think that this is, you know, um, if we're having this conversation, then a lot of people are having this conversation. And I think to be yeah. clear, everyone, when we talk sort of about, the fear of what could happen to theater, we're definitely talking about commercial theater because the yes. nonprofits are doing the work. You know, they're really digging in and, you know, they, they make their way to Broadway. It occurred to me when I was about your age that I'm like, bitch, 
How are you going to portray life if you don't have a life? Well, I need to live my life in order to understand what the fuck I'm trying to chase and like replicate on stage. And I took a very different path. Like I got a show and I was like, is this what it feels like to be on Broadway? And then all these hoes were like, bitch, you're on a multi-million dollar set with Broadway actors. Like, what do you think this feels like? Like, yes. I was like, oh, okay. I realized pretty <laughs> quickly. And I was like, I don't know if that's like the gig I want to necessarily do per se as like a dancer and stuff. So then I knew that the point was to direct, but then I completely just like went into a whole other world. I went into music. I got into teaching. I did all this shit. And then actually had a life to sit down and finally be like with my cardigan and be like, all right, I know my religion now. I've done the work. I've done a ton of shows. And like, I'm cozy also with experiencing relationships and pain and loss and excitement and overcoming obstacles. So then, you know, as artists, I think it's important we don't get so caught in this rat race, right? Where it's only about the, the, the show because then we, we just, we, we don't, we're not real anymore. We change. We change, which is what we see happen in Hollywood often. You know, that's a crazy. I mean, can you fucking imagine? I mean, I'm sure you can actually, but to have your face blown up on a screen for that long, I mean, that's going to do something to you. You're just a person. I'm not saying it happens to everyone, but I could see how it happens. You know, everyone's like, oh, Lady Gaga is weird. And I'm like, "Mm." I mean, she's an artist who's, I mean, what would that even feel like? Anyway, I didn't want to end it on that, but. Yo, Morgan, I'm so excited we actually got to talk about that moment you with you riding out on a fucking chapstick. That's that's amazing to me. I got chills. I cannot thank you enough. She's looking at me like, are we on camera? Um, I cannot thank you enough for giving me the generosity of your time and your thoughts. I feel like genuinely I'm a more informed human being now because of you. Me um, too. Mutual. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's just been such a gift to to unpack this with someone with like minds. And to be honest with you, the one thing I'm really happy about, and I'm almost going to talk about this like no one's listening, is I think I didn't realize that with the show, along with wanting to have a dialogue, I didn't realize how much as an artist I really wanted to connect with like minded people, like you said. We have to. Yeah. You know? And and like creating a network of people who listen to this who also have like-minded people, which to bring it home gives me hope and hopefully gives everyone else hope. Because the truth is we're really not alone, even though shit looks bleak. Like we're not. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh God. Green Room 42. Oh man. Not the series. Oh yes. Yes. Even though it's bleak. All right. Cut to like the things come up. It's like Aaron Salazar's one man show for fuck's sake, the musical. Um, nah, uh, I'll send you some videos on Morgan. You'll, you'll crack up. Um, <laughs> yo, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Morgan Siobhan Green, our fucking September guest co-host ushering us out of the summer into a fucking new season. And hopefully all you people listening, Let's let's do this shit. Let's let's move into a season of hope. It's gonna get rough, but like hold on. There's love yeah. out there. You've got enough love inside of you. 
You have enough love inside you. You do. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely someone who loves. So just trust that fucking love and run with that shit. Because this is some fucking Frodo and and Ian McKellen Gandalf shit happening here, okay? This is some (laughs) you shall not pass. All right. Oh my God. No, but that's where we're at. It's literally. I a matter am the man. It is the it is the Care Bear stare, honey. All right, <laughs> we have to we have to shoot this shit outside of ourselves. Oh and here's the thing too. I want to be clear. You can be, you can have a joyful rage. I believe that. Oh you, yeah, yeah. It, you can have it. Okay. All right. You can have. You can be the fucking tambourine where you beat that shit, but it still makes music. All right. So let's let's rage into the fucking fall with that hope and that fucking love and and do the goddamn thing. Morgan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God damn it. All right. Well, everyone, until next time in October, we've got our next guest co-host coming up. I'm going to announce her soon. Get ready. More conversations to be had. But please, everyone, be, wash your damn hands and be healthy, be actionable, and most importantly, be authentic. Much love. For Fuck's Sake Podcast is brought to you by Alvarez Chico Salazar Productions, hosted and produced by Aaron Salazar. Original music by Manuel Paleo and Giancarlo Bonfanti. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at 4FS underscore podcast and on Twitter and Facebook at 4FS podcast. Thanks so much. Much love.